everyone, you're listening to Angel Nears the Podcast. Angel Nears is a Silicon Valley community for startup builders, where experienced operators share their firsthand knowledge on how to scale and build startups. I'm your host, Oleg Kujikov, and our guest today is Matthew Schmidt, founder and CEO at PeopleLogic AI. PeopleLogic is a platform that helps make better decisions around building stronger, high-performing teams. Before founding PeopleLogic, Matt had spent 14 years as VP of Engineering, CTO, and President at Devada a comprehensive knowledge sharing and community management platform. Today, we're going to talk with Matthew about how the learnings and insights that he gained at one company has led him to start another. But before we get into that, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you, Oleg. Very nice to meet you. Well, it's great to have you here. Thanks for saying that. So let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then we'll talk a l- let's just briefly about people logic. dive into Devada, and then back into people logic. So sorry that it was such a long run-up. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself to get us started. Fantastic. Well, I am a lifetime technologist, entrepreneur, all-around geek. We this will be People Logic is my second startup, and um, you know over the the course of the years, we I've done everything from you know code the original bits of our technology platform at DZone before it was Devada to you know leading our media business to helping to sell the company. Uh, as we had a successful private equity exit. So, in, you know, now as a, a small startup of uh, five people, we've got everybody has to do a little bit of everything. And it's uh, it's exciting to be back at the, the very beginning of the journey uh, after seeing an exit all the way through. Can you um, just give me the elevator pitch for, for people logic? I don't want to go too far into it, but I think it's important to understand kind of what we're what we're getting towards here. Sure, absolutely. So we like to say that people logic helps you understand your people better. And at the the heart of that is just using the data that your teams are generating on a daily basis to give you the insights that you need to help the company grow faster and solve problems like better understanding of your capacity and how your team is at risk for burnout or help you prevent unwanted attrition by understanding where the latent connections are within your team. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's about just better understanding where your how your team is functioning, and uh, and help you improve that. Well, I mean, I think everyone can agree. You know, we always want to be improving, and something like how we operate as a team is something that could totally improve any day of the year. So, I think it sounds great. I'd love to kind of talk about uh, some of the learnings and insights that you gained before starting PeopleLogic. So, tell us about Devada and how how that got started. Yeah, so really, Devada got its genesis as a originally as a website called Java Lobby, and uh, it was a labor of love for my partner. Uh, and we grew that over the the course of many many years uh, to from two guys sitting on a couch learning how to sell ads into a publishing business. And over, you know, we navigated our way through building a network of sites focused on developers and helping developers be more productive. And, you know, as we grew that business, we, we hired a lot of people. We did a lot of things right. We did a lot of things wrong along the way. And, you know, once we scaled the business to a certain point and were able to have a successful exit, it gave me the time to be able to sit and think about where we could have done things a little bit better and caused ourselves a a lot less heartache. And, you know, that is where I started to dig into 
realizing that on a daily basis, the teams were generating a lot of data. And as part of that, you know, we were still making a lot of gut decisions that were uh, pretty subjective. And so we were relying on folks to to make those calls without the, you know, having the data at hand or when we did have the data, it wasn't great data. And so I started to, to think about how we might be able to solve that. And so, you know, part of what we do now is look across the tools that teams are, are actually using and uh, be able to tell you things like why your teams are so busy. Why are they, where are they getting stuck? Right. And, uh, and through that, we, Make your, we help your teams become more satisfied with the work that they're doing because they're able to do more productive work because they're not sitting there spinning on things. And we help you remove the bottlenecks that, that come through the work that your teams are doing. Can you tell me more just about productivity in general? It sounds like both of these companies like kind of focused on productivity. So why choose to, to work around how people work? Uh, what's, the, what's the attraction there? That's interesting. I, I don't know that even I had really like pieced together that they were both about productivity, but you know, maybe there's some subconscious thing there. DZone and Devada was about knowledge sharing and, and improving the lives of developers and then how they were able to go about doing their job and whether that was because we provided a ton of knowledge resources for them uh, at dzone.com or because we built a software platform that allowed them to share knowledge more effectively, both internally uh, inside the organizations that they worked or you know, with their developer programs and their developer evangelists. It's, you know, for me, at the end of the day, it comes down to the people and understanding the, the ways that they're working, right? And so I'm fascinated with the you know, a bit of the wetware there that's describing, you know, how are we, how are we actually working together to, to do bigger things than any one person is able to do. And a lot of times we let our processes and our systems and the, the biases get in the way of being able to work productively. And what PeopleLogic is really trying to do is to give everybody a better understanding of the teams that you're working with and be able to remove some of those biases and those broken processes by leveraging the data that tells you exactly where those are. Can you tell me more about um, some of the data you're looking at? Like, how do you, it sounds like such a challenging problem, like production, what this team is producing. It's based on like people and people are kind of, you know, human and they're, it's, it's going to be hard to kind of quantify your productivity. So yeah, what, what kind of, what exactly are you looking at when you're talking about improving the performance of teams? What do you start you know, what do you start to measure? That's a great, a great question. And in some cases, productivity is a, is a dirty little word, right? Uh, we are focused around, you know, I think productivity is often given a, a, a dirty, a dirty word, right? A side glance, because we're, we're really managers and executives and team leaders always want to, to get more productivity out of their teams. But at the end of the day, People who are excited about the work they're doing, who are not stuck doing same work or not doing repetitive tasks, tend to have a higher employee experience and tend to be more productive, right? And that leads into performance. So when we talk about the data that we're, that we're looking at, we are, the big thing that we're doing 
is stitching together the data across multiple tools, right? So we can begin to look at a flow of, you know, what happens once a ticket in JIRA is created, for example, if we're talking about an engineering team, right? So, you know, what happens there, right? There's a, there's a series of commits into Git and there's pull requests and maybe your CI pipeline runs in Jenkins or Travis, right? Or GitLab. And maybe there's a certain percentage of those fail. And then that comes back around and QA is a reopening tickets. And then eventually they get resolved and then they get marked closed, right? But along that way, we also are seeing, well, this team has been invited to meetings from people outside of the, their specific team. And when that happens, that decreases the the frequency of the commits and the frequency of the pull requests and the time it takes to get reviews. And so the data doesn't exist in a single tool. It exists across a variety of different tools. And by stitching together that data, we're able to paint a picture of the team's performance and understand where along the way things are getting bogged down. And do you see patterns between teams as far as kind of like what tools they use? If you say stitching together, I imagine that's really hard when, you know, each team is different. Yeah, so each team obviously has different ways that they use the tools. And so we work to abstract that a bit. We keep the metadata around, but we don't tend to try to do reporting on, you know, if it's a sales team, we don't report on the specific stages for example, right? In terms of the tools that people use, you know, by and large among the the people that we've worked with, you know, I think we've created about 26 different integrations right now. Most use anywhere, you know, within a team, they're using anywhere from three to five different tools. And we haven't, the pace at which we've had to create new integrations has slowed down pretty substantially over the past six months as we've, we seem to have reached a, a critical mass of the common tools that, that you know, engineering and sales uh, and support tend to use. I imagine once you get the Slacks and the Google calendars, uh, sort of the main ones out of the way, um, so that you do reach that critical mass. Yeah, a couple of very specific developer tools, a couple of very specific support tools, the, the, a couple of CRMs. It starts to be, you know, obviously there are, there's always going to be very specific tools that people use and we're working out a way to be able to help people connect those tools. But by and large, we, we have been, I think we've reached uh, fairly close to a critical mass on that. Well, this next question wasn't exactly in the show notes, but I can't help but ask, um, and we do have a lot to get to, so we'll make it quick. Have you noticed any kind of trends or insights about these tools are really popular right now? Everybody knows Zoom is like, you know, everybody's been using it for the last six months. Are there any kind of like must-have tools that every team has or any, anything you've noticed that's just kind of interesting that's maybe uh, perked your ear a little bit? It's interesting because I think we we actually see them come in waves. So for a while, we had a, a lot of interest in Intercom. And so Intercom is a support and CRM tool for your managing your customers. And so we had a lot of interest in that for a little while. Other times, you know, we have a fair amount of interest in tools like Trello for people to simply manage their, their tasks and their to-dos. Things like Slack and G Suite uh, get connected by nearly everyone. 
um, you know, Zoom we have support for, but that tends to then be a duplicate event with your calendar. And so people don't always don't always connect that one unless they have a very specific need to understand uh, the pieces of the the meeting and who participated in that. That's really interesting. I would um, maybe love to get People Logic plugged into my own company uh, domain. But let's keep going. Tell us about the essence of your innovation at People Logic. Maybe talk a little bit about your competition and, and what you do to kind of differentiate yourself from them. Yeah, great question. So uh, I'm a big fan of not allowing the the competition to to be a distraction. Right? Too often companies uh, have a habit of chasing their competitors when you know the you're only looking at your competitors from the outside. So you don't have the the deeper insights that tell you exactly why they're doing this particular thing. So you know our innovation tends to be driven by you know, what the market is telling us, what the, the broader trends are, are telling us. We are also a bit at the leading edge of, of this type of tool. So I wouldn't say bleeding edge, but I would say we are at the leading edge of, of being able to provide prescriptive recommendations and predictive insights around how to improve your team's performance and your team's experience. And so, you know, we, we look at things around what is the latest research in employee experience? What is the latest research in behavior science? Uh, and we, you know, we work with a, a great behavior scientist to, to be able to help enhance our interactions and the things that we recommend. We look at the, the state of cloud tools and, and where people, what are the most common tools that people are using? And. And, you know, frankly, at the end of the day, we're also looking at, you know, what is the state of the art around privacy and employee data and being sure that we are providing an experience that stays on the right side of providing the right types of insights and, and the right level of data without crossing over the boundary of uh, having employees feel uncomfortable with the type of data that we're collecting. So tell me about the importance of having like fast and agile processes and tools. I think that's maybe at the heart of, you know, what you're selling here. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, we're talking about agile in the context of your people. Um, and, and in, but to do that, so, you know, like any startup, we, we like to say that we move fast and, and we are agile. It's, I think that there, it's important to be responsive, but not reactive as a startup. Speak to that because I feel that one personally, but really I'm getting, I'm getting emotionally like triggered from that one. And uh, I hope uh, everyone I work with is, is listening right now. Um, can you speak to the importance of what you just said? Yeah. So being responsive, not, not reactive. And when, as a startup, you're, everybody's eager to, to get that customer, to get the next customer, to do what we need to, to be, to provide a great experience for that customer. And we're all guilty of this. We're all guilty of changing priorities to win that next customer, to be able to put out that next fire. And, and I'll be the first to admit that I have done that uh, many times, continue to do it trying to recover from being a, a perpetual creator of those types of fires. And, you know, it, it, but it's when you're reactive, it 
breaks your cycle of innovation, right? The, the distractions that that causes break people out of their flow, right? The, and so I think it's important that you show the customers that you are responsive and that you're going to listen to them and solve their problems and, and you know, to some extent build what they need, particularly when you're early in the startup's life cycle uh, and still trying to figure out product market fit. But you also have to believe in what you're building and the path that you've set out and the vision that you have for the product. Because it's, it's your product, it's not the customer's product. And so every customer would gladly have the tool that's custom built for them with you maintaining it as long as you maintain it forever. But that very quickly becomes a mess. Yeah, thank you for speaking to that. I, I'm, I think it is a challenge that you know every team faces. It's one of those things where it's kind of good to have the rule because you're breaking the rule all the time. So it's important to have the rule so you understand when you're breaking it. It's just one of those things. It's really the needs of the business change all the time, constantly. So you're going to end up changing priorities but it is like, like you're saying, it just, it, it kills your innovation cycle. It kind of puts you in a new cycle of innovation and takes you out of that old one. So thank you for speaking to that. I think that's really important to have on the show. Next, let's talk about building a team. So I think you mentioned at PeopleLogic, your team is, is pretty small now, right? Yeah. So we're, we're about five people now, I think, you know, split across the globe, but I think we're about five. So tell us about the team you've assembled. Who who have you kind of brought together? What kind of needs have you brought in to fill? And uh, yeah, just tell us about the team. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. So, you know, I started out with a, a couple of engineers uh, to be able to, to help me build the initial platform. My first full-time hire was a VP of growth because I knew that that was a, a gap in my skill set. And so... I'm a big believer in this incarnation of hiring people to do jobs that I know they're better than I am at, right? Because that uplifts the whole team. And so, you know, we, we have a head of growth who leads our marketing and our SMB sales. We have a director of enterprise accounts who's really focused on our sales. We have a, a chief architect that's really focused around uh, making sure that our cloud platform and our machine learning models are um, doing the right things. We have people who are in charge who have experience around people operations and learning and development so that we can produce the right kind of content for our customers. We work with behavior scientists to make sure that we understand the state of the art around performance management. So it runs the gamut, but it is... You know, while everyone does a bit of everything, it is about putting together a team of people who are experts at their craft and who know a hell of a lot more than I do about each of the things that they, they know how to do. Yeah. Next question is kind of like, how did you know who to get on your team? You mentioned like hire people that can do the things you can't do. It's often kind of hard to know what you're not good at, especially when you've never done it before. Did you learn, where did you learn the needs of a business? And then how do you decide that somebody might be a better growth strategist than you? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, it's a really interesting question. You know, some of this comes from the fact that I grew 
our last business uh, over the course of essentially 18 years. And so along the way, you learn what you're good at. I, I used to believe that I probably was better at sales than I probably am. And so one thing I know I am not good at is cold outreach, right? I am good at a lot of things, that and being able to do that on a recurring basis and hear no over and over again is something that is, you know, it takes a special kind of person to be able to, to do that day in and day out. At the end of the day, the CEO does need to lead sales and be there to, to work on deals and, and help customers get closed. But I, that's not where my time is best spent, right? I also know that understanding how to optimize the website and the, our lead generation efforts and our stitching together the workflows in HubSpot, those are things that are not my specialty. I know enough about what the website should be and about engagement in the website, running one of the largest developer communities on the web for a long time, but that's not my specialty. Right. And so it, at the end of the day, whether a person is right at the right time, and some people are right, but it's perhaps not the right time. I think you have to, to make the best call based on the data that you have at that moment and, and then just work like hell to try to make them successful. So it sounds like you've been able to make a really interesting balanced team. I, I kind of have a question like, how have you, like you said, like you just said, you know, making the best decision with the data in front of you, can you talk about maybe an experience where you felt that the team was lacking in some area and you had to evaluate that and then fill the need? Have you experienced that? Can you talk about an experience like that and, and, and kind of building the balance in the team? Yeah. So, you know, the easiest place to probably talk about that is in the, in the engineering team. We, as technologists, tend to, particularly in startups, tend to feel like, you know, it's better that everybody's a generalist as on the engineering team and that everybody needs to get everything done. But as it turns out, you know, we were slowing ourselves down because we, you know, while people were working hard and to the best of their ability, we were not achieving as much as we needed to or the output that we needed to uh, with our front end work, right? And so, you know, we knew we had a gap and, you know, we needed to set out and find someone who could help us with that and, and continue to, to drive things forward from a front end technology perspective. We have a similar thing right now. We know that we want to improve the user experience and how onboarding happens. And so we don't have somebody whose primary expertise is around user experience. And so we're, you know, we've reached out to some folks that we know to, you know, at least be able to bring somebody in for a short while to help us achieve the goals that we're trying to achieve. And then once you have those, you know, you have your team and it's assembled as a leader uh, at your company, how do you empower your people and why do you think it's important to do so and, and maybe actively do so? Great question. You know, that's something that I will admit is a learned behavior for me. In particular, that's one that I have when I was younger. I believed that I could do just about anything. And so it was very hard for me to, to step back and, and let others 
do things the way that they believed was best. What I have learned and what I've, you know, what I know now, I think it's important as you, when you hire folks to do a certain job, their satisfaction comes from being able to do that job and to do it well. And they get excited by being able to do it well and have the successes and the accomplishments. And so, you know, my job as CEO is really to, you know, put the right people into the right seats and give them the tools they need to be able to, to do their job effectively and to be able to clear away the roadblocks that prevent them from being able to do that job. If I've done the right set of hiring, and if I've added the right people to the team, then that's going to pay off, right? And then obviously, if I've done a poor job hiring or I, you know, they're the wrong fit, then it's also on me to to resolve that uh, as well. But um, you know, that hasn't been the case yet here. I guess how do you know when your team is performing at the at the level you'd like them to? Do you have a do you have your own kind of people logic? Yeah, we do have, we, we turn people logic internally, even though that's, you know, not the, the right company size really in our, for our target market. But at the end of the day, if my team is excited by what they're doing and we're making forward motion on the, the goals that we've set as a team, uh, and, you know, we're fairly transparent here. Uh, across the team, whether that's with goals or that's with our, the amount of cash we have left or any of the, the metrics we use to, to measure the business. And so our measure of whether the team is productive is around, you know, whether they're getting the focus time, whether they're completing the things that, that we've set out, whether we're closing tickets, closing deals, you know, making sure the customers are happy, those sorts of things. And, and today's world, it's a very complicated to be able we can do all the things right uh, on the planet and still have uh, a huge amount of distraction within the team because of things that are happening externally. What is your key metric for your team's performance? You mentioned focus time. Do you track that or is it something like tickets closed or maybe an MPS score? I'm not sure. Yeah, so we will be tracking focus time. Focus time is somewhat less you know, that's a very important metric for the engineering team, but perhaps for others, it's it's different, right? The sales may function more on meetings held. So we have a, a variety of metrics that we look at. Some of them are things like the number of demos that we're holding or the number of trials that have been started. Other pieces are what are the, you know, how much of the, the sprint did we complete? And so it, it really, each team has a bit of their own metrics in terms of what feels like success. But again, it's, uh, you know, looking at the holistic view, are we, are we booking enough demos? Are we closing enough deals? Are we, you know, is the platform running as we expect? Those are the things that, that we use to measure our performance. Okay, next let's talk about kind of the market landscape and some of the competitive positioning that you have created. Can you talk about the addressable market? How competitive is it? Maybe how many competitors do you have? I know you said you don't like to look over your shoulder uh, during the race, or at least you don't like to try to look too much into what the competition is doing because you're only getting an outside view. But yeah, how competitive is your addressable market here? You know, well, I don't have the the exact numbers for the, the size of the, the market. You know, we exist 
in a bit of this business intelligence, business analytics world. In terms of the competition, there, you know, there are a couple of customers that are or competitors that are really focused on much bigger companies. So if you think about tools that are, uh, you may have heard the term people analytics, and so which is a newer term for workforce analytics and HR analytics and those sorts of things. Basically, the art of giving insights about your people. There are the term we describe ourselves as a people intelligence platform. There are a couple of other tools that describe themselves that way. I would say we're one of the few, if not the only, that is uh, focused on the squarely in the middle of the employee life cycle, whereas most are focused on people intelligence about, say, your, your recruiting and making sure you recruit the right people. Or others are very focused on enterprises, whereas we are very focused on building an easy-to-use platform that companies of nearly all sizes, particularly companies where they have begun to lose the line-of-sight visibility onto their teams and the decisions that are being made around their teams. And so, you know, our the differentiator really is that we're focused on building a tool that can be easy to use for and cost-effective for, for companies of, of all sizes, but primarily in the 100 to 1,500 employees. Yeah, that's really admirable. Really interesting. And, and, and it takes a lot to go, go after that kind of market. I think a lot of people kind of foam at the mouth uh, when, when thinking about kind of an enterprise level client. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Why do you think now is the right time for your company? What do, what's, yeah, why is now the right time for, actually, how long has uh, workforce analytics been around? How long has this been an idea? And um, why do you think now it's, it's the right time to grow this as a space? You know, I think workforce analytics and, and people analytics and, and have been around for, for quite some time, a, a long time, actually. They have, it's been the purview of the very, very large companies, the ones that can put data analysts onto things. And it's been primarily focused around compensation and benefits and, to some extent, performance reviews and those sorts of things, but primarily not focused around connecting to your productivity tools. Right? It's all connected to your HR data. PeopleLogic has been around. We started building it in August of 2019. We put out a beta uh, right as the pandemic shut down the world in March. So I think PeopleLogic is really well suited for the world of work that we're all moving into, where it's likely to be some version of a hybrid workplace where, you know, we, if everybody thought that managing with everybody remote was hard, now you're going to have people both in the office and remote. And I think it's, in my opinion, that's going to be even more challenging, particularly if we're talking about the, you know, the concept of most people building conversation spaces or hoteling at desks and those sorts of things. The, the employee experience is going to be a, a much more challenging thing to manage. What is that that you just mentioned? Hoteling at the desk? What is that? Yeah, so basically you won't have an assigned space within your desk or within your office. As companies look to reduce the footprint that they have from an office space perspective. So you'll come in and you'll sit wherever. 
and you know, in most businesses, at least in the tech world, if people have laptops and those sorts of things, that that may work. But you're going to have different challenges to manage when we come out of this pandemic and fully move into this this hybrid workforce model. Yeah, hybrid is going to be strange. But getting back to your competitive advantage and your fit in the market, I mean, having the whole workforce go kind of digital and distributed from home, I mean, that's that's kind of got to be a, a big opportunity for you. You know, absolutely. There's a, you know, there's a ton of opportunity that's out there because of the the change in the way that teams work. For us, there the sea change that has to happen is companies is in how companies leverage data to to manage their teams. So much effort went into you know just simply being able to work remotely effectively and and getting those tools into place and you know but too much of the the tools we use around people and around people management are focused on more surveys or point in time measurements of how the teams are doing or in essentially digitizing the you know older paper processes that we use to manage our employees. And so companies still need to, to come around the bend in terms of being comfortable with data-driven decision-making and data-driven management. And uh, we're, we're hearing of a lot of companies who are they're they're mandating that their HR teams and their their managers be more data driven in how they make decisions and and we're hoping that we're going to be able to to capitalize on that. A lot of the tools that HR that other departments will use are very abrupt and they create a stoppage in your workflow or they add a step in your workflow as opposed to kind of what you're doing, which is read the data, which is so interesting. Yeah, we're we are probably the only tool that's doing what we're doing in a very passive way. And too many require process changes, and that's you know that's not our objective. Yeah, can you speak to that? Like, why why go for that kind of strategy? Why why try to fit into the workflow? Because it's got to be much harder than uh, you know saying, hey, if you if you take this survey once a month, it, it, it just seems like a much bigger challenge to try and fit into a system than to add a step. To some extent, yes. You know, it's also really hard to displace existing products. You know, I think for us, our, the theory that we are positing is that companies have their own, they have processes, they have things they're already doing. They have things that are, frankly, broken, but they don't know why, right? They're, they're grow, as they've grown, they layer more and more things on top of existing processes. And so, and it doesn't, as they do that, things get slower. And their growth starts to slow down. And some companies are able to just simply hire and spend right through that. Most companies aren't. Right? And so what we wanted to be able to do is to put the put a platform into place that companies are able to use that gives them a true unbiased measurement of the the places where they have bottlenecks, the places where they need improvement. And at the end of the day, if we can fit into those processes, then they can learn how to improve them and we can then fit into the next process for them versus, you know, becoming part of the process. Well said. Let's continue. Um, we talked kind of about 
the work being done, the workflow. Next, let's talk about the people doing the work, your users. Who exactly are you creating value for? And who exactly are your customers? I could see, you know, I'm kind of curious who kind of does the does the purchasing, makes the purchasing decision here. And then who is logging in uh, to PeopleLogic on a regular basis? Like how, how does it actually get used? That really runs the gamut, quite honestly. So the tech companies right now tend to be our are the place that we're targeting. The buyer tends to depend on the size of the company, but we have everybody from directors of engineering to the heads of HR to CEO. We have SDR or BDR managers within organizations. The entry point tends to be HR, although we've started to see the entry point being, you know, COO or the individual managers. The person who logs in every day tends to be managers of individual teams and then followed by the, the HR folks. Ideally, you know, we, we do provide the ability for the individual employees to also log in and see some subset of the data that we've been collecting and generating on their behalf with their data, but it's on the company to, to be able to grant that access. How do, how do you reach those customers to deliver your value prop? Sure, sure. So it's it's a mix. So we have, you know, some very traditional personalized one-to-one outreach that we do, particularly to our larger customers. Uh, we have social media marketing. We have, you know, some ad spend, although that hasn't been particularly useful. We do some broader SDR style outreach. In the past, we probably would have attended shows and that probably would have been super helpful to do, but we just didn't, we haven't really, we're not at a place, I think, where, you know, virtual shows are going to be something that's helpful for us. Tell us about a little bit more about, okay, dad put this one in. How do you make money? Who pays and how? I think there's a, what we try to do is slide into a budget that's around helping the teams perform better. So it tends to be either the HR or HR's boss, which is very often either the the COO or the the CEO. So sometimes it's in an IT budget, but it tends to be the, you know, the HR, people operations, chief of staff, that sort of person is the one that that ultimately buys. Our pricing model is a, a monthly subscription and then we charge by the, basically by the user, but it's the user in this case is basically the manager that logs in versus uh, charging you for every employee that we gather insights about. Got it. Got it. Awesome. Well, so we talked about customers. Thanks for taking us through that. So we're going to wrap the show with this question. The most important point about startups is learning how to embrace failure. Can you speak to thoughts on embracing failure? And if you have maybe, if you're brave and you have an experience about maybe one of your biggest failures, uh, then, then feel free to share that. You know, I think for anyone that is looking to start a startup, I, you know, there's there's been a lot written about this. And I think, you know, there's never a good time or a bad time to start a, a startup. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to your comfort level with the risk and the fact that, quite honestly, 90% of all businesses fail, I believe, over the long haul. But startups, the failure rate's even higher. And so every day is a roller coaster, not every week, but individual days and the hours between them are a roller coaster when you're a startup, particularly 
if you're in the go-to-market phase and you're trying to to sell and to get new clients. And so there's always failures. The trick is really to make sure that the mistakes that you make, the failures that you have are not fatal. Most aren't. Uh, and so you take the failures and the mistakes you make and you learn from them and you take that and change what you're doing. And sometimes that means an entire course correction. Sometimes that means minute changes and you keep moving forward and you keep your eye on the prize and you have to smooth out the ups and downs because it's, it is dangerous to get too high because the very next minute you may have the roller coaster swing the other direction and take you all the way down and then you can get too low. And that sort of up and down is, is very hard on the mental health for, for startups and startup leaders. Do you have a moment to share where it was like so low, so desperate, you didn't think you'd make it out? <laughs> you know, I don't know that we have gotten to that place. We've only been here a year and change. So, you know, I don't think we've had the the deep, dark pits of despair yet. But you sound ready. <laughs> you know, well, it, because these things happen to every company, right? There are cycles of ups and downs and and there are, as a startup founder, you take all of these failures personally. And you know, certainly at, at my last company, as we, we would have periods of success, and then we would have periods where, because we had grown quickly, but didn't put in the right processes or the right focus on our people, then we would, we'd lose folks. And they'd be good folks, and probably we shouldn't have have lost them. And so you take those very personally and that, that can swing you down to, to very, very low, but you have to, to be able to crawl back out of that, find the small wins to be able to, to keep moving forward. And it's really about finding that, that find the light in the, the work that you're doing and the come back to the reasons why you do it and the, the positives. That's fantastic. Thank you, Matthew. Before we get out of here, what's the best way for our listeners to reach you and maybe learn a little bit more about PeopleLogic? Sure. You can always email me at matt at peopleLogic.ai or visit the website at https peopleLogic.ai. Awesome. All right. We're going to end it there. If you liked our show, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I had to wake up early today to record this at 8 a.m. and I did it for everyone listening. So please, uh, if you enjoyed this, share it and leave us a rating. Thanks, Matthew, for joining the show today. Uh, it was it was awesome. I learned a lot. All these conversations help put things into context. So thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate your time and let's get, let's get you back on here someday. Absolutely, Oleg. I really appreciate it and uh, enjoy the call. Thank you.